Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys are 11. Now, back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And my goodness, Choppa all over the place. In fact, doing an orchestral version of Choppa style. How can you not love that? Right now, of course, we're going over to the 1037 The Game hotline. Talk with the guy at Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and the Locked On Saints podcast. Ross, what's going on, amigo? Hey, I'm doing very, very well, man. Thank you so much for having me back. Happy New Year to you. And yeah, that orchestral version of Chopper Style was pretty sick. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, that I video was just absolutely fantastic. I wish I would have had time to play the whole thing because just all the all the calls all season long, just they, they, they nailed it. Yeah, they did a really, really great job there. And it's really cool. I mean, considering you know, LSU's video media team has been off the charts all season. And so to see the New Orleans Saints come through with something like that, too, it just really puts every, kind of ties everything together kind of at the right time. That's really, really neat to see. It's absolutely fantastic just seeing how everything's been going for the New Orleans Saints all season long. But, of course, things didn't necessarily go their way week 17. And I think we need to start off there just – what was more frustrating to you, the way the Lions lost in Week 17 or the way the Seahawks did things with that just dumb delay game like the, the six-inch line? Oh, it has to be the Seahawks thing for me. I mean, that was just so infuriating. And that's one of those things that just kind of drives me nuts because we've seen this from Carroll teams over and over again, just in ill-advised manner of game management or lack thereof. Um, and so to run down there and spike the ball on the one-yard line when you could have easily have just kind of done a QB sneak there and try to force your way into the end zone. But then to come off of the spike, and I know they had an injury there, and so maybe that's why they spiked the ball, but to come out of that spike to then take a delay of game penalty off of your own clock sausage is just embarrassing at that point. And then you end up going from what the, they were pretty much, like you mentioned, six inches away to six yards away, and then not be able to punch it in and miss it by literally inches uh, was just, just sad. And so I think that was the one out of the two that was really infuriating to me. With Detroit, they were up 17 to 3 at halftime, and I still didn't believe in them. So I wasn't super, <laughs> super, uh, super invested in that one. But that Seattle one in particular was, was pretty, uh, pretty upsetting. I'd agree with you wholeheartedly there. I don't think anybody was expecting the Lions to pull off the upset of all upsets, even if, when they were up 17 to 3 at halftime. I mean, they could have been up 31 to 3. I think we still would have been like, you know what? I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> But, you know, talking right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered Locked on Saints podcast. But, you know, let's let's keep it going with this. I mean, you talk about the Seahawks, and we bring it up. It's like, and they had just recently signed Marshawn Lynch. You can imagine he got signed, and then all this happens. It's like, here we go again. It's just, it's, it's nothing's changed since I've left. Right, yeah. No, and kind of earlier on in the game, they sort of made uh, sort of made good on, them, on themselves by handing the ball off to him on the one-yard line, and he just flew over the pile. Everything until so I – you see that, but then again, when it gets to the point where the game is on the line, Pete Carroll just can't do it. And he can't rally his team 
Uh, and that would have been a perfect time right there to where instead of spiking the ball, just turn around and hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch and let him try to get into the end zone. Then you've got more than enough time after that to gather everybody together and spike the ball there and still have the ball for a third and fourth down try. But it was just one of those things where I'm sure that, you know, it all kind of came together and there they go back to the one yard line all the way back to the six and he probably looked around and went, up. Oh, there you go again, I'm back. <laughs> Talk right now, Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered and Locked on Saints podcast. And, you know, we now we got to kind of look ahead to the Saints-Vikings matchup. We've seen Kirk Cousins in the past kind of shrink in these big game situations. Is, could this be more the same for Kirk Cousins? I think it absolutely could be. I mean, there's no real sort of evidence that Kirk Cousins can perform well in these games. I mean, we've seen him regardless of which team he's playing with, year in and year out, find a way to just fall apart in these games that mean something, right? Whether it's primetime games, whether it be games where something's on the line, and this is a game that has their entire season on the line. Because if they lose this game, their season's over, they go home, they're done. They don't move on through the playoffs. And so with it being sort of that one-and-done pressure, uh, with him having gotten a little bit of rest last week, too, and then with the Superdome, the retiring of Tracy Porter at halftime, which I think is going to drive Minnesota fans absolutely nuts and the Vikings absolutely nuts. I think all of those things combined make this game feel very, very big for Kirk Cousins. And he has to play in the New Orleans, uh, in the New Orleans Superdome, you know, in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans. He's got to be able to deal with that crowd noise and that environment, which every game so far this year that's been played at home for the Saints has felt like, home um, has felt like a home playoff game so now that they actually have a playoff game in the dome that's going to go to a whole other level and i'm I'm interested to see how and if Kirk cousins is able to keep himself composed uh, throughout that type of an environment because it's going to be a very big one for him and the type of environment that he usually does not thrive in i'd have to agree definitely is kind of this is that situation where he'd rather not be in when it comes down to it i think he wants to have not all the focus on him, but at the end of the day, this is one of only the last two games of Wild Card Weekend that you got him, uh, Kirk Cousins in. He's going to wind up to me at least shrinking in the spotlight. But in terms of like what player in particular concerns you the most on this Vikings team, be it on offense or defense? Uh, which one concerns you most? That's a good question. I think maybe maybe for me it's Adam Thielen. Um, it's hard for me to choose between Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. Dalvin Cook is somebody, of course, that is a concern in the run game, but I trust the Saints run defense very much. I think that this entire offense could potentially end up running through Dalvin Cook, which would be, I think, an ideal situation for New Orleans because the Vikings won't be able to keep up with the Saints offense if, they're, if their offense is running through their running back the entire time. So I look at a guy like Adam Thielen that can move around and along the, the offense, play inside, play outside, get matched up on guys like P.J. Williams, and then get matched up on Marshawn Lattimore and Janoris Jenkins and finding ways to create mismatches in his favor, potentially getting lined up on linebackers in the slot as well. And so he's somebody that I'm really looking at as the guy that really concerns me the most for the Vikings' offensive attack. Over on the defensive side, I'd look at a guy like Danelle Hunter, the pass rusher, uh, or the edge rusher really for them uh, in their down four because they don't really pack much of a punch in terms of their secondary and their linebacking core has always struggled against 
uh, Alvin Kamara in particular, Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, whoever it is that's going to end up being back there. I know Eric Kendricks was dealing with an injury, but it looks like he's going to be playing on Sunday. And so I think that, for me, it's the pass rush in Danelle Hunter. And that's, again, one of those things where if the Saints can neutralize that threat, then they have a pretty easy, not I want to say easy, but they have a much easier task ahead of them as to how they navigate that, that Vikings defense. I have to agree with you wholeheartedly. I think especially on the Daniel Hunter take, I think you can't discount a guy like that, a former LSU Tiger who's shown himself to be an absolute beast with the Vikings. But for me, it's like we bring up offensive side of the football. I think for me, without a doubt, it's Kyle Rudolph. And I think you want, you want to know why? Look back a few weeks ago at the beginning of December when they took on the 49ers and look how George Kittle tore him up. Yeah, no, that's actually a really, really great take. And this will be an interesting one because usually Von Bell is the guy that ends up handling most of that coverage against tight ends, and we've seen him play really, really well there. He's back, but he was also in that game against San Francisco and struggled a lot. Now, some of it could just be the George Kittle effect, period, uh, but definitely a, you know, position-wise, something to keep a look at. You can also look at DeMario Davis as somebody that can match up or that you hope to see match up to Kyle Rudolph. He played a really great game against Jack Doyle. But again, that's a very, very different type of talent level beyond a guy who is a big-time receiver in Kyle Rudolph and is you know, a very experienced vet, too. So he'll be a really interesting matchup to watch and certainly a key matchup for the Saints to try to, you know, to, to win as best as possible uh, in order to limit that Minnesota Vikings defense. So it's a really, really good option there. Now we're talking about right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered Locked on Saints podcast. And the question I have for you now, Ross, is, is something I think a lot of the players have been getting this week. Obviously, they're saying that it's not that big of a deal what happened a couple of years ago. They're going to focus on the Minnesota Miracle, two very different teams. Obviously, you've got Kirk Cousins now versus the stable of quarterbacks that you had that you want to kind of the Vikings decide, oh, yeah, we're not going to keep any of those guys, especially – a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, I think they're regretting that right now. That being said, yeah. when you look at the Saints, when you look at the Saints Vikings matchup, how concerned are you about what's happened in the past in this game, be it two years ago or one year ago, when you saw the Saints have like Drew Brees have probably one of his worst performances of his career, but they still come away with a win? How how concerned are you about this matchup? Um, I I. I'm a little indifferent about it. I think the thing that concerns me the most would be the Vikings offense as opposed to the Vikings defense. So I'm not too concerned with that Drew Brees performance in week eight where he struggled a bit against Minnesota. I think that this game and this time around, Xavier Rhodes is not the same player that he was even at that point uh, last year. Uh, Mike Hughes and Mackenzie Alexander, two of the better cover corners, as well as Mike Hughes being the guy that they really trust in the slot to match up with bigger bodies like Jared Cook, they're both out. And so I think that, I think I look for Drew Brees to have a really good game here. I also think that, you know, the whole missing five and a half games essentially has been really good for Drew Brees. You know, his, his arm is six, you know, six games, uh, six games less tired, you know, six games fresher, six, his legs are six games fresher. And so I really like Drew Brees in this matchup. So for me, I guess it would be a little bit more akin to what concerned us uh, a couple of years ago, not necessarily the the big wild finish, but you know the fact that the Minnesota Vikings offense was did well enough to go up twenty to zero by you know at, at a certain point to be up twenty points going into halftime, and so I think that that's the big thing for me is how does this thing secondary hold up, especially with Von Bell and Marcus Williams missing essentially a week and a half. Does that create any communication issues in the secondary? And also introducing Janoris Jenkins as your starting corner opposite Marshall Lattimore for this game with Eli Apple out. 
how does that affect communication? Because they have to work very hard to contain guys like Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen in order to keep this manageable for the Saints offense so you don't end up with a big shootout like you saw against San Francisco 49ers weeks ago. All right, one more. We're just going to go lighter side here. Why the hell hasn't Jason Garrett been fired yet? I, Dude, I cannot understand this whole situation. This is the longest rip of a Band-Aid I've ever seen in my entire life, and I don't understand it. I don't know if Jerry Jones is just doing what he has to do to keep the Cowboys in conversation, even though they're not in the playoffs, or if he's just really enjoying himself throughout this entire process. But one minute, you know, Jason Garrett and the entire staff is apparently going to be fired. Then they're having another meeting and they're having more conversations, but there's no resolution. And then apparently Jason Garrett's going to be fired. Now we believe he's going to be fired. It is the most wild scenario. It's kind of like that time that Jared Cook came to New Orleans and then just kind of disappeared and nobody knew what happened to him while he was in New Orleans and everyone was just hoping that he would sign. Uh, but in this case, it's you know Jason Garrett in, in Dallas trying to figure out whether or not he's going to have a job in the morning. It is honestly one of the most wild uh, sort of tumultuous things that I've seen before when it comes to making a decision about moving on from, you know, some leadership within your organization. I mean, you think about it, like I've never been fired from a job personally, but I can about imagine a lot of people who are listening right now have been in the past. It's like, you don't have like 20 meetings about getting fired. It's just like you have that one meeting. It's like, okay, we're moving on and moving in a different direction. You're out of here. It's like, you don't have like 20 different meetings. I don't know what the hell is going on in Dallas. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I would even go so far as to say you're lucky if you get a meeting, if you're getting fired. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy's got, you know, all of these. It, yeah, it, it is an insane situation. And the, the funny thing is that at this point, everyone just wants him to be fired. Like, even if they didn't expect him to be fired, even if they're a guy that likes, you know, Jason Garrett as a head coach, at this point, everybody's just going, put the guy out of his misery and let him move on for, for you know, for everybody's sake here. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a wild, wild situation. Ross, thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Absolutely, brother. Looking forward to it. Talk to you next week. Have a good one. All right, that was Ross Jackson. You can follow him on Twitter, of course, at Ross Jackson ASC. But if you've been listening to this show long enough, you know exactly where to find this cat. Going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to talk NFL Wild Card Weekend. I'll give my picks. I'll give you the latest spreads and a whole lot more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Every time CD takes the mic is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now let's get back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Welcome back. To Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios. And I'm looking forward to talking about the NFL Wild Card Weekend. It is probably one of the best times of the year to be a football fan. The playoffs are here, and we got a lot of fun ball games to kind of break down with you on this Saturday morning. And we'll start things off. What's really going on in the AFC? The games are going on this afternoon, this evening. Starting things off, Bills, Texans, by the way, all the games you'll hear right here on 103.7 The Game. Special shout-out to the good folks at Westwood One for hooking us up 
all season long in the wild card and also Super Bowl this year, 54 on Westwood 1. Kevin Harlan, I think, is going to be on the call for that. So that's going to be absolutely fantastic. That being said, let's get back to what's causing all this and start things off with a look at the Bills-Texans. Houston currently three-point favorites, according to Bavada. 43.5 points is the over-under. Bills Mafia, that you've had your best season in years, but let's just look at those 10 wins and really break it down. And you start off the season with wins over the Jets, the Giants, and the Bengals. Okay, 3-0 is one hell of a start. Then you have a win over the Titans. You beat the Dolphins twice. You beat the Washington R-Words, the Broncos, the Cowboys, and the Steelers. Only one win was against a playoff team. That's the Titans. Strength of schedule, poor. If this were the college football playoffs, they wouldn't be in consideration. At least to me. And, you know, also they lost to the Browns twice, which feels like it's almost a fireable offense to do that these days. But they're also limping into the postseason, losing three of their last four and two in their last two games as well. They lost to the Jets 13-6 in the regular season finale. You look at the AFC South champ, Houston Texans. Yeah, J.J. Watt, he's back from injury after a long time. Will Fuller, uh, all but official, ruled out for this ball game. But I think it's not going to matter because I think we see Deshaun Watson help lead this team to a win, and they eliminate the Bills, send the Bills Mafia back home to Buffalo, where nothing really great is in Buffalo. 24-21, Texans eliminate the Buffalo Bills, and those wagons get circled. You look at the Patriots-Titans matchup tonight. Pat's five-point favorites over under a 44. Is the Patriots dynasty officially over? I don't necessarily think so until Tom Brady is willing to live off the mounds of money that Giselle has made and continues to make as a model, and they put Bill Belichick in a cryogenic chamber for a 1,000 years like his name is Philip J. Fry. I can't take the idea of the Pat's dynasty being over seriously. We keep talking about them. And Alabama, is that dynasty over? No, it's not. Pats lost to Miami to wrap up the year and dropped to the three seed. And they're coming to this game hungry and also a little bit angry because of the way that Miami game ended. That it cost them the bye week. And this is the first time in 10 years that the Pats have played in a wild card round. And the Titans, not looking like their namesake at this point, split their final four games. Ryan Tannehill has had a career resurgence with the Titans after finally leaving that sinking ship that is the Miami Dolphins, but he's going to struggle tonight in Foxborough, Massachusetts. Tannehill 0-6 against the Patriots in Foxborough, 0-7 in games under 40 degrees. Trust me, I wouldn't do much better in 40 degrees either, but that remains the point. To me, I think we see the Patriots demolish the Titans like, like their name is Aaron Yeager. And of course, it's a little attack on Titan reference for you. Pats 35, Titans 10. The Saints-Vikings game Sunday afternoon. Saints eight-point favorite in this one. One of the big things for the Saints is Breeze. We talked about in the last segment. Fresh as a daisy. Best shape he's been in for postseason run probably ever. I'd probably say, of course, maybe the 2009 the, the Super Bowl run. Obviously, you have a bye week the, week the last week of the season. Took a week off. But I think this is the best week for Drew Breeze to be an absolute beast. Eli Apples ruled out. Saints fans are rejoicing for some reason. Trust me, you wouldn't be 13-3 probably without a guy like Eli Apple really performing pretty well in certain points, especially in these low-scoring ball games. So Vikings, players are going to be dealing with the flu left and right, especially on the defensive side of the football. 
key players to look out for. Daniel Hunter, obviously former LSU Tigers, has shown himself to be a monster with the Vikings. Talked about in the last segment. Kyle Rudolph, big concern for me. See healthy Greg Olson back in the day, and then also George Kittle just a few weeks ago. That's a big concern. But at the end of the day, the Saints win 35-17. No miracle needed. The Bourbon Street drinks are going to be flowing. And then finally, we end things here with the Seahawks-Eagles game. And man, oh man, this one's probably the toughest one to pick just off top. And of course, the Seahawks are traveling over to Philly. I know some people aren't necessarily a big fan of that, but guess what? It feels almost like karma for the for the Seahawks because remember back in the day, not too long ago, the Saints played Seattle in their home, the home of the 12th man, the Beast Quake game. They played over there whenever they didn't necessarily deserve to be a wild card team. So, you know what? Deal with it. And they're taking on Philly. Philly currently two and a half point dogs. Once again, according to Bovada, two and a half point dogs head in this game. And you know what you do? You know what happens when you have these underdog teams? This is a game where the underdogs get the win. Philly, two and a half point dogs. Give me Philly with the win here because I think the Seahawks deserve a little bit of a like wake-up call. Because what happened last Sunday should be a damn near fireable offense. The delay game penalty cost you big. They could have been probably a, they could have been the number three seed and be hosting. And that would be just absolutely huge for them. The Saints could have had the bye week. And we couldn't be talking about the New Orleans Saints and the Vikings. We could talk about the Vikings and probably somebody else. That being said, this is absolutely huge. I think the Eagles get the win here. The Seahawks won back in November, but the Eagles just look so much more like an underdog team. They'll get their asses handed to them in the second round to the San Francisco 49ers, but at the end of the day, the Eagles advance to the next round. My score prediction for that one is going to be a 21-14 ball game. I see 21-14 written all over this one so because of the fact i feel like the seahawks the record's great but guess what they're starting to kind of like struggle a little bit and it feels almost like karma because of the fact the way they way last week ended i think they definitely are due for a little bit of you know some some karma for you i'm gonna take a quick commercial break come back hour number two joe cook joining the program talking about the mississippi state news and a whole lot more you're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. This should be played at high volume. Preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 1037 The Game. 
Welcome back to the most listened to Saturday morning sports talk show in all of Acadiana. Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station. Hopefully you're having a great Saturday morning. Of course, we're live as always from the 237 Roof Studios. Presented by Lafayette Roof in the final half hour of the program of a special like shortened edition and an early edition of Under the Dome. We usually are on from 10 a.m. to noon, but we're only on from 9 a.m. till 10.30 this week, leading you up to LSU football, LSU basketball, excuse me, before they take on Tennessee, LSU football is not this Monday, but next Monday when they take on Clemson. We'll get to that game a little bit down the road, but of course, we're going to go to what's causing all this, and everybody's been talking about this over the last like 24 to 48 hours, so without a doubt, we need to get into it when it comes to the Joe Moorhead firing what's next for Mississippi State, we go over to the 1037 The Game Hotline. He is the sports director for 16 WAPT in Jackson, Mississippi, and that is Joe Cook. Joe, what's going on? I'm good, man. How are you doing this Saturday? I am doing fantastic. I know it's definitely been a busy last 48 hours with the news of Joe Moorhead getting fired and man, it's just been, it's been a wild week for Mississippi State to say the least with a lot of stuff that happened during bowl practices and then the loss to Louisville and then all of a sudden just out of nowhere, Joe Moore had fired. What like what was kind of the real big shoe to drop for this cuz it felt like maybe he was going to get fired, let go, whatever at, heading into that Egg Bowl game, but then they got the win and they held off on that. Why did they hold off on this? Yeah, it it seems like they they held off of course to see how, you know, the the actual uh, bowl game uh, when the city bowl, but and you know when you have uh, stories coming out that there's altercation at practice and start and it and it causes your starting quarterback to miss the game, you know that shows that there is a a lack of control or or disconnect between the head coach and, and the rest of the team. So again, I think they gathered all the information and you know he wasn't there long, but you can kind of see man this wasn't a good fit. I mean he had the SEC's rushing leader. And not a lot of success this year, especially in conference play. And Joe Moorhead, of course, was seen as an offensive you know, guru at the time of his hiring. I mean, he had a lot of good teams at Penn State. They averaged almost 40 points a game, but it didn't really translate to the SEC. So I think John Cohen and them, they just saw that let's just get out, you know, while we can and, you know, try to go after someone that can, um, you know, bring us to where we were, you know, during the damn Mullen years and keep us there. I think they weren't satisfied with seven losses and and the way uh, they they lost, especially that last game. They're up 14 nothing, everything's rolling, and 31 unanswered points. That's not a good look either. So I think it was a multiple, multitude of things off the field and, of course, you know, not enough wins to, to overlook those. And I love how you brought it up perfectly, Emma. You brought up Dan Mullen just a moment ago. How much does that kind of – factor into just how Mississippi State's like perspective on football is now versus maybe what it was like five, six years ago? It's it's interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm new to Mississippi. I got here in September, so I'm learning a lot about, uh, I guess you say, the, the fans down here. But it's not that much different from my last season. Uh, I was in Columbia, South Carolina, so I was coming to Gamecocks. I was in the SEC East, and you know, Will Muschamp replacing the great Steve Spurrier. So he was well-revered, a guy that brought that program to national prominence, much like Mullen did. So, yeah, the fan base does have, like, wild expectations. If you don't win 10 games a year, then it's like, well, what are we doing? You know, there's panic. Get him out. I mean, we see that. I've seen, I've seen that a lot, so it was no different. But 
I know when you have a good coach like Dan Mullen, that he goes to Florida and they're, you know, he's got them back on the roll. You know, Mississippi State fans are like, man, we gotta, we gotta maintain what that was. So expectations are, you know, you gotta come in and and be Dan Mullen right off the bat. And you know, it's not fair, especially a guy like like Moorhead, who, you know, he he's a, he's a coordinator and he's trying to be in the West, you know, with Alabama <laughs> and LSU, and they're taking off. He's like, yo, give me some time to kind of develop things and get some more recruiting classes. But the way it is, especially with fan with fan bases, you got to win now. So win now mentality. So I think any coach that comes in, you're going to deal with that anyways. But maybe it's a coach that has some experience in the SEC that has dealt with that, maybe overcome that in their early years before they were let go. Maybe that can, you know, kind of um, – be a good fit for Mississippi State. A lot of people say, well, it's not a, it's not a good fit. Well, you don't know till you know, and maybe two years is too early enough to know, but apparently for Cohen and, and, and Mississippi State fans and boosters, you know, two years was enough to see what they needed to see. And you about to imagine John Cohen, a former coach for Mississippi State on the baseball side of things, you know he's probably looking at the analytics and the data and everything. He just seems like he's the guy that knows. Like, a- after two years, he if anybody would know after two years, probably it would be him more so than a lot of other programs, because usually it's about the third year is when you really get to see what a team's made of, case in point, what we're seeing over in Baton Rouge with LSU. But kind of just sticking with the conversation about the future of the head, the head coaching search, a lot of rumor and innuendo. One of the big reasons why I wanted to have you on was the rumor and innuendo surrounding Billy Napier potentially being the next head coach at Mississippi State. A lot of reports were coming out. Some people were saying, it was a mm-hmm. done deal, and the next thing you know, Brett McMurphy drops a bombshell saying that Billy Napier turned down the job. Have you heard anything different over in Stark Vegas? No, that's pretty much been uh, consistent since, like you said, since our reporting comes out. Now, the thing was that you know he hadn't officially signed his extension uh, with the Raging Cajuns, so that was like, oh, well, there's a possibility that Missy offers him like a crazy back, crazy contract, and oh yeah, he'll, he'll come right over, but. You know, he's like, ah, I think I'll, you know, I'll mow things over and I'll, and I'll stay right here. And if people remember, Napier's name did come up in the Ole Miss search as well. People were thinking like, oh, this would be a good, uh, you know, fit there. And I even thought like he would be a good fit at Ole Miss given that, you know, he's done a lot, uh, you know, at UAL and he also recruits Mississippi very well. I mean, he's getting um, one of the running backs out of, out of Pelahatchee, Amont Johnson. I mean, he was our player of the year. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, a pepper. That's what he said when he signed. So he knows how to recruit the state. So I thought that would be a good uh, fit for Ole Miss. And, of course, you know, of course, they went with Lane Kiffin. But, yeah, Napier's name uh, coming up again. But, you know, he's taking his time. You know, there was a little, you know, thought. That was, well, he didn't sign anything. So, you know, nothing's official to sign a pen and paper, which is true. But the fact that, you know, it's come out that he's, going to stay put for now and not look at Mississippi State uh, job as of yet. So that's pretty much been a consistent thing that we've been hearing and looking into right now. So I think all the UL fans can kind of breathe easy. Napier's probably going to be sticking around a little bit a while longer. I think he's definitely going to be sticking around for a little while. He wants to see how this team looks with him at, like really working with his own ingredients because we've seen him work mm-hmm. really well with Mark Hudspeth's ingredients over the last couple of years, now 10-2 getting ready for the Lending Tree Bowl. Talking right now with Joe Cook, sports director for 16 WAPT in Jackson, Mississippi. But, of course, just looking at what Mississippi State is right now and, like, the expectations for this program, 
are a lot higher before Dan Mullen came around. It's a much sexier job, in my opinion. My question to you is this. Who who's gonna be that that splash hire that the Bulldog fan base will be happy about? Um, I mean, there's I mean, there's a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of potential you know splash hires. Um, you know, one guy that you know everyone likes to say, you know that homecoming feeling. I mean, his, uh, Ty Grantham, the Florida defensive coordinator, his his name has come up. He's had NFL experience. He's coached in the ACC, the Big Ten, and the SEC. And of course, he was. MSU's defensive coordinator back in 2017, he left up with Mullen to go to Florida. So what better way to kind of tie all that in? You have the, you know, going off the Mullen tree where you had all your success. The guy's very familiar with Mississippi State. Um, that would be, of course, a great hire for them. Of course, one name that's been circling around pretty strong in the last pretty much day or two has been Butch Jones, the Alabama uh, analyst and former Tennessee coach. 34 wins in four seasons at Tennessee, and he's got 84 uh, went as a head coach, and you know, of course, he knows the SEC as well. Being a head coach at Tennessee, so those are kind of some of the the big the big names uh, as well. And then, if you want to go, maybe you could kind of say off the beaten path, if you will. Um, another guy that's in the area down there in LSU. I think a lot of people want guys off of Ed Orgeron's staff. Of course, Ed Orgeron, the former Ole Miss coach, so uh, his defensive quarter, Dave Aranda. He's uh, He's come up as well, but that would be his first head coaching gig. But he's been a Broyles Award uh, finalist the last couple of years. I goes to the top assistant in college football, and of course, everyone wants a piece of Joe Brady, the passing game coordinator down there at LSU, because of what he's able to do with Joe Burrow this year. Um, so those are some of the names, especially, especially if, you get, if you can get Joe Brady to come from LSU to hear that. I think that would shock a lot of people. You talk about a splash; that would be a big splash, given the success they've had in the last. Um, year two scores of course you know they're playing for a national championship so if you get somebody off that LSU staff uh that'd be great of course homecoming as well with a guy like Grantham as well so those, those are the two names I think as far as splash I think a lot of Mississippi State fans would be happy with those hires I'd have to agree talk right now with Joe Cook a sports director for 16 WAPT in Jackson Mississippi and you know you bring up Joe Brady you bring up all these names and I saw Ross Dellinger kind of tweet this out um, uh, yesterday afternoon about um, uh, a Power 5 AD who wound up going unnamed, obviously, said if he had the choice to hire somebody, he'd hire Mike Leach. How, how awesome would it be to have <laughs> have the Pirate be the head coach of the Bulldogs? That yeah, that probably that probably be the biggest splash. Again, his name was coming up again. The old Mississippi, some about Mississippi and Mike Leach. People just love him. <laughs> but you know, you know, just offensive, uh, another offensive genius. You know. If, if you come into your program, one of your recruits at quarterback is probably guaranteed to spend his career as a top ten passer in college football. He just produces guys that put up crazy numbers. And that kind of offense, when you have a guy like Mike Leach come in, you really of course his personality, his his charisma, he and plus for the media, he would be great for us because we would have sound bites for days. So we would love for him to, <laughs> to come to Starkville uh and, and be and be a part uh, of the SEC West, and then you talk about personalities and names. Then you know Lane Kiffin. He, you know he's at Ole Miss, and now your rival school has a guy that has you know the name power and the and the success of a Mike Leach. You bring him in the, into Mississippi State, so now you got uh, SEC West with Ed Orgeron, Nick Saban, uh, Mike Leach, and Lane Kiffin. That's that's assignment TV every weekend. You know what I mean? You want to see what these guys are going to do, what kind of numbers are going to put up. 
And that would be that would be <laughs> that that would be star studded. Mike Leach just come down here and turn Mississippi State around, maybe back to the Mullen era or even beyond, given the kind of offenses that uh, he can produce. So that that would that would be tremendous for everyone involved. And like you said, it's competition. Like you know, Ole Miss has that sexy hire with the lane train. Well, like you said, the pirate coming in that would be uh, <laughs> that that would be tremendous for sure. It would be amazing. You bring it up, it'd be great for y'all. Like I, I, you're bringing it up, and I'm just like. I really want this to happen. I really want Mike Leach to be part of an SEC program in 2020. Some because when SEC Media Days comes around in Nashville, having Ed Ogeron, Lane Kiffin, Nick Saban, and the and the Pirate all like there, it's, it's pretty much going to be like appointment TV that entire week just to hear all the crazy <laughs> stuff all these all these coaches are talking about. Yeah, for sure. I've been to a few of those SEC uh, media days, especially the ones in Hoover, and that hotel lobby will be buzzing <laughs> with fans all day, all weekend. Like you said, you probably even if they're on different days, people are just going to show up to see hear what these guys have to say. And oh man, that like I said, for, for us media, that would be that. That's all. That's all we would need. There'd never be a dull day, a dull pre-practice or after practice media availability, weekly press conferences, and of course when the teams play each other, you know, the week of those sound bites are going to be great. And I think it'd be great for everyone involved. It'll bring excitement and again, recruiting. And that's going to be huge to see when you have all those coaches and, and not only in one conference, but in the same division, uh, the recruiting competition is going to rev up tremendously. So it's going to be a good, whoever comes in, of course, that's going to be competition. But if you get a guy like Mike Leach, you know, who's going to get the top players, not only in Mississippi, but, you know, giving it to Louisiana, Texas, and the surrounding states. They're even trying to get guys, you know, from California, you know, where some of these guys have coached or have ties in. So that would be very um, interesting to see the kind of players that would end up coming to these programs with all these great coaches. Now, Joe, before I let you go, i got to ask you about um, Mississippi State basketball because SEC conference plays start today. What can you say about the men's basketball program and how they've been doing? Because I know LSU's going to be playing them in a couple weeks' time. Yeah, Mississippi State uh, men's basketball team, they've actually been pretty solid. They've had some um, hits and bads, as all teams do, kind of in our conference as they get their feet wet. They were here uh, recently at a Mississippi Coliseum that weekend where Ole Miss and Mississippi State came to Jackson. So I was able to see them up close, and that was actually the the first game that um, Nick Weatherspoon, he, he came back, made his debut, and he's going to – a lot of people feel like he's going to be the difference to get them over the top. And they did lose some New Mexico State in a low-scoring game, 58-52, when they were at the Coliseum. So it was kind of kind of a funky game for them. But um, for the early part, I mean, they, they've, been, they've been good. I think going into SEC play, it's going to be interesting to see who kind of – commands the team. Reggie Perry, he's been, you know, got a lot of preseason accolades and he's kinda of like this steady eighty consistent guy, but you know, you can't do it alone. So getting Nick Weatherspoon back is huge. Um but I do like Iverson Iverson Molinaire. He comes off the bench, packs a punch. You got Robert Wood at the second. You know, when he's playing well, the team plays well. And Ben Howland has said that, like they need him to play well. He can be that second or third guy just in case, you know, Reggie doesn't have it going. Um, and, and they've had some very good guard play as well. You know, you get Nick Weatherspoon back, and um, it, it's, it's going to be tremendous to see how this team goes. And, of course, they have a big test with Auburn as they open up. They're gonna, we're going to see how good they are, <laughs> you know, right off the bat uh, with a team like Auburn, a top-ten team. But Mississippi State, they're – 
the MO of the Howland team. They're gonna they're gonna play hard. They're gonna play defense. Um, and I've seen that before. I mean, them playing South Carolina when I was over there in Columbia, like those are some great games. Of course, Frank Martin teams always trying to play hard defensively. Um, so I think they'll I think they'll be okay. Like I think that the game today against Auburn is going to say a lot about where they could be, especially if like you know they lose bad. There's still some time to turn things around. But if they were to beat Auburn, then it's like okay, this Mississippi State team could be the team that we think they could be this year. Um, so I think they've done very well. They you know, had a battle with Villanova early on in our conference play, um, you know, taking care of business off the back against Florida International. I think this team has kind of just been inching up and just, okay, we're ready to get in the conference play here and see where we're really at. Joe, thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. I appreciate you joining the show. Yeah, man, anytime, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was Joe Cook. You can follow him on Twitter at Joe Cook Sports. I told him it was going to be like 10 minutes. We went way longer than I thought, but absolutely loved it. Appreciate him joining the show. We can take a quick commercial break under the dome, wrapping up with some resolutions for the show itself. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 in the game. From the preps, I gave it a, uh, a 10. A 10. To the pros. And everywhere in between. Let's get back under the dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station. And we about to have a good day on a Louisiana Saturday morning. Looking forward to it, man. Just absolutely loving the show today so far. The first show of a new decade. And my goodness, this has been a really fun one. I want to kind of just look at some of the people listening online. I appreciate everybody, especially out in St. Paul, Minnesota, listening. Maybe want to get some thoughts on the enemy. Well, but spoilers if that person in St. Paul missed the... Predictions part of the show, Saints are going to whip up on that ass. I'll tell you that right now. That's going to be an absolute beatdown. I got the Saints winning 35-17 over the Vikes for that one person in particular. But, hey, if you listen to the all show long, trust me, you had a really great time listening in for the last, let's see, like 85 minutes or so. But we got just enough time for one last thing that is my final take, and it's definitely a very special one. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. Not as much a take per se, but it's all about resolutions. It's a new year. It's not quite a new show, but I've been thinking a lot about the show lately. I'm going to continue the show, obviously, but it's more about what kind of show do I want this to be? Because for a while, when I was doing the show with the producers, before the show got transformed and modified into what you all know and love it as today, is I wanted the show to be fun. I wanted the show to be the most like lighthearted thing on the planet. We'll talk sports. We'll talk anything we want to talk about. And then I eventually kind of lost that vibe because it was just me, myself, and I inside the 237 Roof Studios. 
And I thought about some stuff over the last like few weeks. I've been a little more introspective lately about what kind of show I want this to be. What kind of thing I want this show, Under the Dome, to be going forward. And I figure out what I want this to be. I want it to be the best show it possibly can be. Also, having fun. I had fun today. Like, honestly, this is like the first show in a while I've actually had fun doing, prepping, getting stuff done for it. I mean, I was talking with Ross Jackson. I always have fun talking to that guy. Joe Cook, that was entertaining as all get He just texted me. That was his first radio hit. And I was like, dude, you did awesome. You crushed it. You know, this is absolutely what I love about this show is just having different guests on and having variety. And I thought about it, you know. I'm going to shoot for the stars here in 2020. I'm going to start really shooting my shot towards bigger guests. A lot more fun content. Sure, we'll have some regular guys on like Ross Jackson, Greg Peterson, Steve Lassen when the time arises. But I'm going to try and have on a lot more fun guests. Maybe maybe longer form segments. We'll see what happens down the road. But right here, right now, I think the Under the Dome goals and resolutions for 2019 is to one be that barstool type show that I wanted the producers to continue to be throughout 2019. Didn't necessarily happen, it is what it is. But our show will be the best damn show it can be, and it'll continue to dominate this year. And also, this is just a goal, it's a guest goal. Kevin Harlan, we're booking him on the show in 2020. That is the goal. We're having him on the program. I think the same can be said for the 20 by 20 programs podcast, which I'm doing solo now. The goal is simple. Just produce some really kick-ass content and also create some really awesome stuff and have some really great guests. I don't necessarily have a big goal for that, like getting Kevin Harlan on. But Kevin Harlan, that is my goal for 2020, is to at one point get him out of his busy schedule and have this cat on a Saturday afternoon. That's the bottom line, but I'm about to get out of here. Let you listen to Chris Blair, John Brady on the call of the big game. LSU, Tennessee pregame coming up in a couple minutes and then tip off at 11. You can hear it all right here on Acadiana Sports Station. And I am out of here. Oh, yeah. Kick it. First up at 135 Eastern, 1035 a.m.